Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Extraordinary Souls Podcast with me, Mark Haslam. I have a good chat coming up with a lady by the name of Robina Curtin. She's a Buddhist nun. She's originally from Australia. She now lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And she's a character. She's, um, yeah, she's a feisty one. Um, I really enjoyed this chat with her. She's done a lot in her life. And she used to be a kind of a feminist activist. And she she also worked on, on behalf of prisoners' rights. And she she's just, she's an interesting lady to listen to. And... And hear her speak. Incidentally, this is the first time that I've had anyone on the podcast from an organized religion. So I guess I want to just clear up that I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not trying to sell any religion to you. I'm not trying to convert you or do anything like that. I just am speaking to a lady who happens to be a Buddhist nun. She's a wonderful, wonderful person, I have to say. She's sharp, like she's so sharp. Her mind is like, oh man, yeah, she's she's on the ball, and I hope you enjoy the chat. I I do. I'd like, as I say, I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not trying to sell you anything there like that. I did ask a Catholic priest to come on the podcast before, and I ask loads of people. I ask loads of people to come on this podcast. Most of the time, nobody replies to me. <laughs> Maybe that maybe that should be telling me. Maybe I should be listening to something that's happening there that I'm ignoring. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I I did ask a Catholic priest to come on, and he asked me the name of the podcast. I gave him the name of the podcast, and at the time I only had one up, the very first one, in which me and my mate Mark Keating speak about aliens. We speak about um, yetis and all sorts of wacky stuff. And one of the reoccurring topics in that podcast was if and why aliens finger humans up the bum. <laughs> so I can kind of see why that priest didn't get back to me there and had one any association to do with this podcast. Wouldn't blame him. Wouldn't blame him. <laughs> but I hope you get something out of this podcast. And if you do like it, share it around and do all that stuff that... I know you're not going to do, you lazy git. Uh, yeah, enjoy. See you on the next one. Peace and love. Yeah, so you are a Buddhist nun, that is correct? That's what I'm called, a Buddhist nun, yep. That's what I'm called, a Buddhist nun. Yes. Love <laughs> that's the label that we that we. Yeah, that's in. right, that's it. And um, why Buddhism? What, what, how did that start for you? Uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm Australian, as you can hear, and I was, actually mm. my dad's English, so I've got English, I'm English as well. My, I lived in London for years, but in, I think I was, I was brought up a Catholic, seven kids in the family i was the second and i think from the very beginning of my life i was always very attracted to uh, i love to go we were catholics i loved going to mass 
And I really just, as soon as I went to mass, I never forget as a little girl, I kind of figured that's my job, you know, to be the priest. So I announced I was going to be a priest. Of course, I'm not a boy. And they all laughed at me. So somehow I always had this strong connection with spiritual matters, but it was very internal. Externally, I was not holy in the, in the slightest. I was one of the naughtiest kids, always in trouble. But somehow I had this inner world, always thinking about the meaning of life and God and all this type of thing. This is very strong for me. And it was very powerful for me being a Catholic. I was naughty, as I said, but somehow it was very internal. But I think by the time I was about 19 in the mid-60s, it was time for sort of goodbye God, hello boys. And I didn't have, I didn't, wasn't, I never worried about guilt. I wasn't into that, you know, but I was always thinking about I'm not trying to sound holy, but always why suffering and what's going on, what's causing it, whatever, the meaning of the world. So then I was 19 and I went through this process for about 10 years of um, I went to London soon after that. And I was a, my mother's a classical singer, so I was studying music with her. So I went off to London like Australians love to do in the, when I was about 23. But in that process, I was sort of decided it was goodbye, God, hello, boys. So And then it was drug time, marijuana time, hippie time. So I was totally involved in that. And then I think oh. in that period, in that 10 years, it was like, I didn't say it to myself like that, but it was like looking for a way to see the world very strongly and going through lots of experiences. So I was hippie and then I got to London in the late 60s and then start and kind of radical lefty kind of demonstrating and then kind of radical yes. black, uh, black politics and then feminist politics, always totally involved in that kind of thing. And then somehow by the time I was about, I think I was about 20, 31 perhaps, I... Uh, I was doing martial arts and then I found, heard, I was back in Australia and I heard about these Tibetan lamas teaching. So I went and that was it. And that was in 1976. So I was however many years, 45 years ago. That seemed to be defined. I seemed to find the way I wanted to see the world, the framework for seeing the world, which was Buddhism. It happened to be Tibetan Buddhism, these Tibetan lamas. And that's what I've been doing since. I mean, that's the essence of it. So here I am learning to be using the Buddhist view as my way of seeing the world. Yes. Yeah. So when when you were in London and as you say doing marijuana and living it up and being rebellious yes. and, and living your life through through that way was there uh -huh. a kind of um an unease or an unhappiness or a discontent that 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 was kind of within you living that way or you were we you seeking not at a all, bit no, like no, it was all part, no absolutely not it was all part of my process it was all part of me learning to understand the world understand myself I mean that's mm. the whole that's the whole that's that's the point of all of it. I mean, whether when I was a radical lefty, it was the same thing. I was looking for a way of seeing the world, very strongly trying to find the way to see the world. So that's you know yes. turned out to be I bumped into Buddhism and I happen to still be here. That's the framework for the world. We've all got. If you think about it, we might not have a label. Oh, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Catholic. Hmm. I'm a communist. We might say that, but we've, if we look into our minds, we've all got to. We all we could define how we see the world. So we've all got a philosophy, really. Just that we don't call it that because it mightn't have a label that the world knows. We've all got a way of seeing things. We all have a view about the world, don't we? Wouldn't you think mm. so, Mark? Yeah, yeah. So Mark happens to be labelled Buddhist, that's all. But, I mean, it's, you, you, you know, you find a, you, we're looking for ways of understanding things. We want to understand things. We want to know why why this happens and why is this suffering and what is the cause of it and then what do I do about it? We're all struggling, I think, with that, mm. whether we label ourselves Catholic or communist or nothing. We've all still got a view about things. I think it's like that. Yes, yeah. I, yeah, I reckon you're right there too. And, and we kind of only know yeah. our own inner world really like in, on our own things that have affected us and and on the way we, we view it yeah um well, i mean I, we have experiences and we try we ask the question why you know we, we mm. i mean it's not often you don't have i think we always do that things happen and we wonder why things happen or what is this and what is the cause of this i think we all have that experience i don't know i mean that for me i you know that's anyway this is my way of experiencing it yes, the way the world yeah. is and so we try to find a way to live our lives it seems reasonable you know i think so yeah, I reckon so. Maybe people are more, some people are more curious than others. 
and, and seek a truth, Possibly, like yeah. a, a bigger truth, and and really go looking and knocking on doors for it, like whatever doors it's they can possible. find. I don't know. I mean, bigger truth, smaller truth. I'm not sure about that. I just think we all have a way of seeing things. Mm. We mightn't say it's called a philosophy. We mightn't give it a label, but we all interpret things in a certain way. It happens to be I'm using what I what's called the Buddhist way of seeing the world. That seems to suit my mind. I find that as a way of learning to understand myself, learning to give me tools to help change myself, learning to help me less suffer less, be more happy, be more useful. I mean, that's how I would say it. And was there a moment um, that that it that it hit you that you went, yes, this is for me, Buddhism. Th- no, it's this a process. It. I think it's a process. No, I mean, as a well, I mean, I, okay, everything I was involved in, whatever view I had, I was very committed to it. Mm. I was very, very committed. Always very committed. You know, that was the way I saw the world. And then I would start questioning. And so I got when I first went to these first Buddhist teachings. It part part of me. Um, it was very, it's very, I mean, because Buddhism is very ancient, you know, and it's very patriarchal. It's come from India and uh, places, and you know, so it's, it's, and it's Asian, it's not uh, Australian. So it's not yeah. my culture. Mm. But I, I, what I felt was there was something there that I really, I mean, for, you know, I really appreciate the views about karma, for example, the view about reincarnation, the views about uh, how we've all got this marvelous potential. Uh, there's many views in Buddhism that I heard that seemed to resonate for me, that seemed to, oh, that makes sense. That's interesting. Let me think about that. Yes. Because let's face it, you know, if you think about things, one the, the view that predominates in the world, I suppose, you could say it's the philosophical materialist view, that your mother and father make you, that you come from the monkeys, and when you die, you turn into dust. That's one very big, strong view in the world. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And that's what we call the scientific view. That's a very strong view that millions of people buy into as the view. Then you've got lots of people who are called Christian. Then you've got lots of people called Muslim. You've got the Australian Aborigines. I mean, their view of the world is so unusual, I can't even understand it. So we've all got these views, you know, we might as I said before, we might label it with a big label. We've mm. all got a viewpoint. So I think that's what I'd been looking for, a way of seeing the world. And the Buddhist view seems to make sense to me in a practical sense, not just in, a, in, in my head. It gives me a practical, the way to apply those views I find very helpful in terms of learning to be a better human being and how, how to be useful to others. Yes, yes. And um, would you almost consider Buddhism as both a philosophy and, and a religion? Oh, of course, absolutely. And I'd say all religions are also philosophies. I mean, it's how we use these words. Catholicism, for example, as a Catholic, it's a very specific set of viewpoints. It's definitely a philosophical view, but it also happens to be a religious philosophy. But I think the view that's that perhaps often is surprising for people when people realize that Buddhism doesn't assert a creator. There's no concept of a creator. Mm. That's a shock to most people. We say, well, how can you say that's religious? Because we usually define religion in terms of believing in a creator. But that's not the Buddhist view. Buddhism would say that my consciousness doesn't need creating. They don't talk about a soul. They talk about your consciousness, your mind. They only use that word, which refers to all your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, your unconscious, your subconscious, your very being. And that doesn't, your mother and father give you a body, but your consciousness comes from before. It's got its own continuity. That's the radical difference in the Buddhist view. And that view I find quite, you know, that's my word working hypothesis if you like i don't just the buddhist view is don't just believe things blindly take listen to it think about it and if you can see it's if it's if you can find it to be wrong then you must reject it that's very much the buddhist view so i'd say this is my buddhism is my working hypothesis so they talk about how your consciousness goes back and back and back and then you come programmed into this life not with your mother and father's tendencies but with your own tendencies so i remember the dalai lama said one time this law of karma is sort of like self-creation we bring our own stuff with us 
we create ourselves. We create our own happiness, our own suffering. And so by knowing I don't want suffering and I do want happiness, then that compels me to want to change myself. I don't, so that means don't harm others, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, don't be, don't harm others, try to help others, and that benefits you and it benefits others both. There's a nice analogy in Buddhism that a bird needs two wings, wisdom and compassion. So the wisdom wing is all the nuts and bolts of putting the, this, taking these views of karma and the way the mind works. Buddhism's got very um, real detailed view about the way the mind works. Taking these tools to help you become a better person so then you can do the compassion wing, which is help others. Yes, to kind of almost to, to, to work on yourself first. And well, you must. How can you, help you can't even help. How can I? I mean, if I, if I see someone who's suffering, say, from you know, malnutrition, if I don't know nutrition, how can I help them? I've got to learn nutrition first myself. Yes. How can I help another human being who's suffering from depression and anger if I don't know my own depression and anger, if I haven't worked on my own mind? Mm -hmm. You can't do much if you can't. Work on yourself first, then help others. It makes sense. If you see someone else is suffering out there, like being angry or having a bad time in their relationship, if you're full of anger and depression yourself, you can't help anybody. You just no. jump your own junk on that person. So yeah. you've got to clarify yourself. This is very much the Buddhist approach. The mm. idea of a Buddhist, like, you know, if, and anyway, that's the, that's the approach. But the real point of it all is, the, is, is compassion, I suppose, empathy, realizing we're all in the same boat. We all want to be happy. We all don't want to suffer. And often we're, you know, end up harming ourselves and harming others because we haven't so it's to help others is the main one but you've got to help yourself first i mean yes. that's the idea yeah and i don't mean to yeah. sound noble by helping others we all want to i mean we want to be useful don't we? even in our family we want to be useful you know your daughter comes to you you want to be useful to your daughter you want to help your daughter mm. you don't want to and so the, the fundamentals in buddhism like every good philosophy i mean a good communist a good materialist a good christian would try to not harm others so i think that's a pretty basic thing in all views of any reasonable human being try to be useful on this planet not harm others try to make try to at least do some good you know yes of course and when you spoke briefly there about karma in your yeah. own in your own viewpoint do, do you believe that yeah. the way you do something and the energy that you give out um will come back at you in in how do I say that? How do I ask this correctly? So that like the whatever way you do something, if you're doing it with compassion, as you said, or if you're doing it with love, or if you're doing it with anger, what you get back will naturally through the yeah, law. And it's, and it's actually, yeah, that's right. That's good, Mark. It's more, but it's more than that. It's a more, it's a more subtle, more fundamental point. The very first thing about karma is is really it's just this law of cause and effect that whatever whatever anybody, a monkey or a dog or a human, whatever we think and do and say, right there, first of all programs us and we turn into that kind of person so forget about even the harm you have the impact you have on others so the very first thing about is you produce yourself so you know if you are practicing if, you're, if i'm being angry every day forget even the harm it does to others the really first one is look at what i'm doing to myself how can you ever think a person who's angry all the time can be a happy person it's not possible but we often defend our right well i'm allowed to be angry look at my lousy boyfriend but the buddhist approach is if you really start to have some compassion for yourself and realize you produce yourself if you be the angry every day jealous resentful screaming yelling what kind of person are you producing a really suffering person so that's the very first level you produce yourself so there's a and that's not meant to be self-centered that's intelligent we all want to be happy but we all tend to think happiness comes from my boyfriend and the chocolate cake and if they're nice to me then i'll be happy but if buddha's view is if i i can make myself a happy person by being practicing lessening knowing my mind well lessening my own neuroses and growing you know less angry less 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 jealous less resentful more kind more patient more fulfilled 
that's producing me to be a happy, wise person. Then I can be a benefit to others. And then, of course, cause and effect is logical. I mean, whatever whatever you think and do and say produces you, and then the impact you have on others, it produces the it produces the results also that you get. But in long term, I mean, Buddhism talks about not just this life, but long term. So, in a sense, we are our own creators. It's a way of putting it. Mm. We are our own creators. I think we can yeah. prove that to be true. That's not a religious concept. I think if you sit there all day angry every day, and not, you're not harming anybody, you're shouting at the television, you're shouting at your iPad, by the end of the day, how do you feel? I mean, mm. you can't say you feel good. You feel horrible. So, in a sense, everything you think and do and say produces you. Then you have impact on others. So, it's that as well. So yes. it's an interesting concept. I mean, it's, it's been around in Asia for three, four thousand years. It's just that there's a brand, it's a fairly new idea to us in the modern world, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and like when you're, you're speaking there about, about your inner, do you try to yourself in your own personal life look at, at how your inner state is at, at all times, really, I guess, um, first, first? That's your job. And in a way, we understand this. I mean, I use the example, you know, I think in the world, if you want to become a musician, we all know that you produce the musician, don't you? You do the work, don't you? Yeah. So you've got to be watching your mind every millisecond, every note you play. It's really precise, isn't it? Mm. You, you can say you've got a good teacher and you can thank Bach for his good music, but in the end, you do the work. Well, Buddha's saying the same about it being a person, your own qualities, your own happiness, your own suffering. We produce. So, you know, so knowing your own mind intimately, second by second, is the job of being a Buddhist, actually. One of my lamas says, it's like one of my teachers says, it's like being your own therapist. We know we produce the musician or produce the carpenter, but we don't think we can, we don't think we can produce the happy person. We think that's someone else's job somehow and then we blame everybody else and feel like a victim i'm not being rude because the world is pretty suffering but the buddha's view is we can learn to change we can learn to change ourselves so you have to know your own mind intimately minute by minute and that gets that's quite a sophisticated job you get better at it as you go mm. and then you adjust what's in your mind the mind is very flexible we can mold our mind into whatever shape we'd like this is the fundamental inner job of being a buddhist and then on the basis of that you you, you present yourself to the world Yes, and this is something that that you've been practicing for for quite a long time. Well, I'm doing ha my best taking this view. That's right. Yes, and yeah. has it has it um has it got? Uh, I won't say easier, but have you noticed the things you catch it quicker when you go? Oh, there's anger, or there's well, of course you do. Or... I mean, if you learn, of course you do. I mean, as you keep getting better at music, you can see the subtlest difference in a tiny note. You just get better at that knowledge. That's mm. the job. That's the idea. That's the whole point. And then as to, from your own experience to see the results for yourself, you know, the, the, the job of why you want to know your own mind well is so you can adjust what's there. So it can change the anger and change the jealousy and change the resentment and change the low self-esteem into more, being more content or more forgiving. It's a gradual process. It's not a magical overnight thing. It's a slow, gradual process. Our mind isn't set in stone. We often think it is, you know. This is often our biggest suffering. I'm hopeless. I'm no good. I can't change. I'm depressed. I'm angry. And we feel very hopeless about it. But I think if we really can see that our mind is very flexible. We can change. And, and the other thing is, and this is quite subtle, the Buddha's view, all our emotions, which we only notice when the body is kind of shaking, if you like, but the more you learn to do these meditation skills that come from Buddhism, which in fact come from the Indians even before Buddha, uh, you learn, you develop this skill to see get to become familiar with your mind before it becomes emotional so you can then adjust it and change it because everything is finally built on is kind of rooted in being conceptual stories anger is really a conceptual story but with lots of package around it jealousy all of them are the same you know so you learn to unpack and unravel 
your mind at an ever more sophisticated level in order to change it, in order for you to become wise and happy and fulfilled and content, in order for you to be able to be benefit to others. This is a gradual process. Yes. Uh, do you have a practice? Do you meditate every day? Do you make sure to make time in morning and, and the oh, evening? I must. Of course I do. Absolutely. I practice morning and throughout different times in the day and at night as well. I, I do my practice, yes. That's one's choice. Do you, yeah, exactly, yeah. And do you, do you ever struggle to meditate? Do you ever sit down and your mind is so active? Oh, God, you're or... all, I'm more bone, more bone lazy. You'd rather have your cup of tea and sit back and put your feet up. Of course, <laughs> yes, you yeah, so yeah. you've got to have a discipline. It's like anything, even if you're committed to being that best musician, it takes a lot of discipline and, con and determination to do your practice every day. When you know the benefits of it, then you make, that'll make you do it. We're all – so then, and we, we all know practice makes perfect. But also we know that Tibetans have a lovely way of putting that. They say – Nothing with nothing ever gets more difficult with practice. So you know, naturally, as you get better at something, you get more enthusiasm for it. So that's but that that's yeah, that's a that's a long term thing for sure. That need discipline. Mm, mm. And are you not not? I don't mean hard on yourself, but yeah, hard on yourself. Do you make sure that you spend that time and don't, as you say, lie to yourself and say, "I'll have a cup of tea." It's a form of meditation, or you know, no, I've I really, done that myself. I, want, I see the benefit. I see the benefit of discipline. I see the benefit. I want to do it. I want the benefit from it. So of course, because but it, it takes sometimes. Sometimes you just got to be flexible. I mean, this morning, you know, I hadn't finished all my practice, so I had to talk to you. So I stopped my practice. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. So you be reasonable. You be flexible. Yeah. I mean, being neurotic with ourselves is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Got to be firm but kind. You know, firm but reasonable, and not just push. And I think one of our biggest problems we're always worried about what people think about us. So I think that's a big suffering. We have to do it for our own sake. Do it because we can see the benefit. You know, and be content with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think you're you really hit something there in the head with with caring what other pe people think. Um, oh, it's a big it, one. It is, isn't it? And I'm very very guilty yeah. of, of of that myself many times. I notice it. I'm like, why That's am right. I acting in a way that doesn't really That's right. resonate That's right. with me? And if you if I drill down into it, it's because I care what other people do. What? Why? Why not? That's right. It's very. This is, I mean, the Buddhist view talks a lot about the main suffering we have is attachment, which is a very funny word because we think it's a good thing. But Buddhism talks about attachment as being kind of this emotional hunger mm. that drives us. We don't have enough, and I, I'm not enough. So you, we therefore, and we first we dump it on the cakes and the boyfriends and the handbags and the, nothing wrong with having things. But we all, there's this misconception that when I get that, I'll feel better. Or, and it does touch, but, but it's this emotional hunger that is the big problem. But the deepest emotional hunger, more than for sex and drugs and rock and roll, is this one of other people's approval. It's quite subtle in this. And I think it's the biggest suffering. I never, this is an interesting point. I remember reading about one Australian nurse, she actually worked in England, was the dying. She wrote a book about it. And it's called The Five Greatest Regrets of the Dying. Hmm. And the greatest regret, she said, was people that I didn't follow my own heart. I didn't do what I really knew I wanted to do. Instead, I did what I thought other people expected of me. So I think in a big way, in life sense, this is a major problem for many of us. We're so worried to upset. We call it upsetting people. But it's really worried they won't like us or they will judge us. And it's very deep inside us since we're very tiny, I think. So to really get in touch with that, then you can get some courage to really follow. And even if people don't like it and, don't and even people criticize you, you don't do it out of arrogance. You do it because you know this is the right thing. And then you have more courage, you have more authenticity, and you stand up for right. You're not worried about what people think. That's a very big one, I think, this attachment, attachment to what people think of us, attachment to not be disliked, mm. which tells us that we already don't think we're a very nice person if we rely on other people to tell us yes. we're nice. 
So really, this is a major one in the Buddhist approach. This is using modern words we're discussing here, but this is a very Buddhist approach. When you really put yourself together, you are becoming your own person. You're becoming authentic and you follow your own heart, but that includes being moral and ethical and kind and not harming others. And you have much more courage that way and therefore much more contentment. Mm. And there's 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 an I- ironic kind of um, twist on um, looking for approval from external, from other people and caring what they think that, you you're not following what you what you really want so you're you're following an external i guess in in other people to try and seek approval as you said from outside to to find happiness but in doing so you find unhappiness because it doesn't feel right you're trying to fit into this box and that often happens we can see that in big in the big terms we can see that when it comes to say like religion in certain cultures when you just you you're so terrified of being punished but you don't even know what you think yourself. And so the, in, what's interesting in the Buddhist view, because there's no concept of a creator, no concept of someone to please. I mean, I'm not being rude now. I was a Catholic. I was very devoted to God. But I remember talking to a Catholic priest friend of mine, and I said, tell me by definition, what is a sin? He said, a sin by definition is doing what God said not to do. So there's nothing wrong with wanting, if you are devoted to God, say you have a view of God and you are devoted to God and you want to please God and that that can be very healthy. But when it's full of, when it's full of fear and guilt, that's really when it can be disastrous, you know, we, and we don't even know what we think because we're too scared to think or I might get punished. So in Buddhism, because there's a view of karma, what you do brings its own results, but it's no one punishing you. There's no concept of punishment and reward because you do it to yourself, you know, you, and you take responsibility. So the Buddhist you would say your own suffering comes from your own past actions, but your own happiness comes from your own past actions. We are our own creator. So you can't, so the concept of punishment and reward doesn't exist. So it makes you more courageous. Yes. Yeah. And I know exactly what you're saying there about God as an external kind of a judging a higher power that in, in that, guy that you were mentioning um that sin is doing what 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 god says it's the same sort of thing as as somebody else isn't it i guess whereas with buddhism what you're speaking about is you're driving your own car you're that's how you're, they you're that's it you're it yeah and that, that's that i mean i know for people who are very i mean for myself as a devoted christian who was that would sound mm. quite shocking if you're being arrogant it sounds very arrogant but my, my feeling is it's not you know and i don't think there's anything wrong i totally respect anybody if they have faith in god i'm not criticizing but mm. it, it can be done it, it needs to be a <clears throat> it needs to be so i think the point i'm getting at if you decide that you have faith in god it needs to be you choosing that then if you choose to do God's will, this is perfect. But if you feel right. afraid and you think you should do God's will because you are, you're a naughty girl otherwise, that's when it becomes problematic. When you're worried about what mummy says and daddy says in the world, you can't, it's almost like schizophrenic. You don't, you're not owning yeah. anything. But if you, you can own, you can choose to completely have faith in somebody. You can choose that. And if you, and the choosing of it, that's where the ownership is and that's where the contentment comes from. Mm, yeah definitely yeah yeah i do i do indeed like to me uh, the the word god is such a, a hard um concept to try and like i, I have have a like a viewpoint i guess or a philosophy of oneness that there's mm-hmm. only one one thing happening and it's life experiencing itself through many many forms mm-hmm. you me the trees the, right. the sun yeah. everything um so it 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 ties in well with with buddhism as as um whatever's going on inside you is is the one is god right. if you like or whatever experiencing right. itself all you can do so, is work with that that's right and it's all we've got we've got mm. to work with that you know yes that's yes. true
So the Buddhist idea, instead of the one of God, the Buddhist view would be the Buddhist idea is that we've all got this potential to 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 become a Buddha. In a sense, Buddhas like the concept of God, except not a creator. The Buddha's view is we've all got this marvelous potential. Our consciousness has this potential to be utterly free of all the rubbish and full of all the goodness. Speaking very simply, so the concept of a Buddha in Buddhism, you know, is is a very powerful idea. And the Buddhist idea is that every one of us has. We can all become that. We've all got that potential. Yeah. And it's our natural potential. That's right. Yes, exactly. because so the job is to become that person, to become this person. I mean, to become the person you want to become, basically. Not unhappy, you're not neurotic, not harmful, kind, wise, confident, fulfilled. I mean, to a degree of, I mean, to a huge degree, the Buddhist view would say we've got this power. But so it's a very internal process here and, and, and it demands accountability. We come into this world programmed with our own stuff, no one gives it to us, that kind of thing. That's the Buddha side. Yeah. The, um, when, when you speak there about coming into the world with your own stuff, um, I know that, that reincarnation and, and rebirth is is a, is another uh, Buddhist It's Buddhist actually fundamental, to Buddhist fundamental to the whole Buddhist worldview is that, you know, there's no concept of a creator. Therefore, you can't start at any point, which sounds a bit weird. Every sentient being, every monkey, every dog, every human, we, we are programmed with our own past tendencies, and that causes us to take this particular rebirth. And then whatever we do, think, say, now produces our future one. The Buddhist view would be that. The consciousness is beginningless and endless, which sounds pretty cosmic to us, but that's what their view is. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. And um, so... You may come into this world with 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 karma that you've that you've carried from from previous lives that you don't. Well, that's the Buddhist view, and that is the way it all is. That's just the way. That's the natural law that runs the world. Buddha says that's just how it is. Mm. Every sentient being, every you know, and and we can. If you have a suffering life, then you, the, you it's a result of past things you've done. If you have a happy life, it's a result of what you've done. But when we hear that, it sounds heavy, as if it's punishment mm. and reward. But there's no punisher. There's no rewarder. I mean, we know ourselves, if you eat too much cake, you're going to get indigestion. You can't blame the cake for that. You made the decision. So, you know, if you know yourself, if you eat well, you'll have a healthy body. So you can blame yourself if you like, but it's accountability. It brings the, the concept of blame and punishment and reward doesn't come into it. And I can see over the years, my being a Buddhist, there's no view like that. You take responsibility for who you are and what you are. And then you see, is this, do I want this? No, I do not want this, so I'm going to change it. Yeah. Do I like this? Yes, so then I'm going to grow this. So and this is the Buddhist view is the fundamentals of it is all these good ethics. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't harm. Why? First, because that will produce an unhappy, suffering person, and I'll get the consequences of that. So then the, there's, a, there's a vested interest in first in oneself. You've got to know that. That's not just being selfish, that I produce myself. That's why, I mean, nobody causes, causes, says that you're selfish by eating good food because you know it will produce a healthy body. Well, the Buddha says then the same with good ethics. But me being ethical produces a happy person. Yes. And then I can be helpful to others. So you got it's like a sense of responsibility to yourself. We produce ourselves, Buddha says. It's a way of saying it. Yeah. And it makes sense because, I mean, if you look at any action that you've had in your life and the knock-on effect, um, things that you've done out of anger, it's it's never ended well. I don't know anybody who said, oh, I'm I'm glad I was angry that day. It really worked out well for me. And no, we don't say that. I know. No. Sure. Yeah. No, no. The, the instinct of ego is to defend ourselves. Yeah. It's automatic. I am allowed to be angry. Look what you did to me. It's true. You could say that, mm. but what good is that? Sort of like you have to see that. And that's why we've got to have this 
inner awareness. This has to be, this is a starting point to really learn to know our minds at a degree of subtlety that I think we don't even think of in modern therapy. I, I would say that, I would suggest that. I remember that Dalai Lama said it was these, and this is from before the Buddha, Buddha was two and a half thousand years ago. And I think there was an, there was an incredible culture in India. But of course, in we in the European world, the white world, we're very arrogant. We all, we go back to the Greeks and we think the Greeks are great and the Greeks are great. But we don't look at India. We don't look at Asia at all. We're mm. arrogant, you know. And so, I mean, the, as the Dalai Lama said, it was these amazing Indians more than 3,000 years ago, actually, who were the ones who began the investigation into the nature of self. We probably thought it was Freud 100 years ago. We're so arrogant. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's very, and it's only interesting now there's so much, especially with the Dalai Lama in the world and all the, in, and the, and all the, all the Buddhist literature going way, way back, coming into the world. People are seeing, scientists and thinkers are seeing more and more now. There's something in this, um, this is coming from India, especially India, because that's where Buddha was born. Yeah. But well before India, these genius, they were the ones who created this amazing skill that the world vaguely knows as mindfulness, which comes from this incredibly sophisticated psychological skill that enables you to completely subdue the mind and go to these subtler levels of your own mind. We don't even posit these levels of mind in modern psychology. So, I mean, people are learning now about, you know, especially in the scientific world. Dalai Lama has been involved in many conferences with scientists about the, the, the nature of the universe, and it surprises modern scientists to think that there are views around that have been before we invented everything, you know. Yeah. So it's quite helpful. Yeah, it's been there such a long time. You're right, and there is That's a, exactly a right. bit, of, bit of arrogance. And, like, I was oh, quite arrogant, I'd say. speaking on my last podcast as well about India and about that exact same thing, yep. the wisdom that it yep. does come from there. Do you, Astonishing, do you, really quite amazing. Oh, it's it's yeah. unbelievable. There's these right. beings exactly. full That's of right. life and, right. and, and deep, deep wisdom. Um, That's right. Do you do you believe that, as you kind of briefly touched off it there, that um, Buddhism and these old, old, old wisdoms are, that psychotherapy, and then you mentioned Freud, are kind of just catching up on what was already known and already worked on by, by many people. No, I think in it's India. an interesting point. No, it is an interesting point without trying to be too arrogant. I would suggest, yeah. yes, when I, when I, you know, studying, say, the Buddhist model of the mind, which comes from these Indians even before the Buddha, which means it's basically 3,000 years old, mm. it's, quite, it's quite humbling to see the knowledge, the clarity in the knowledge. And I'm not describing the knowledge about neuroscience, which is, that is a new science. That's definitely new. Mm. But the Buddha's view is your brain isn't your mind. Your consciousness, your mind is not physical. It works with the brain. And I would say the brain is like a good physical indicator of what is going on in the actual cognitive process itself. And the Buddha's skill and these Indian skill was ident was being familiar with the actual co subjective cognitive process itself in a very sophisticated way that we do not have even remotely in therapy so in many ways yes you're right in what you say without being arrogant but it's good to see the source you know oh, definitely yeah. true and yeah, people are seeing that now yeah yeah I think and that's that. what i first said you see that was for me so important there i was this western person australian i've been through 10 years of radical politics and you know and then coming along dumping sort of jumping in the deep end of this tibetan buddhist course was in australia when i was back in australia i've been in england and europe for years i'm back in australia in the mid 70s and went to quite shocking because the tibetans had only been out of the out of their own country 20 years and they in their own country they were kept kind of isolated so the good thing about that was that their amazing philosophies were kept intact you know, but I mean, when you hear the Tibetan, when I heard these Tibetan teachers teaching, it was could have been the 14th century. They hadn't changed their language. So it was yeah. very arcane. And I remember intuitively feeling there's something here, but I had to persevere with it. But I figured if this is merely only Asian, if it's actually a cultural thing, what on earth has it got to do with me? If it's really only for men, because it's very patriarchal in, this, in, in, in one way. 
then how could I be involved? But what I really got from it was that it's just cultural packaging. If there is any truth in any viewpoint, it can't be, it's got to be universal. You know, if, if a scientific truth is a scientific truth, it can't just belong to one American or an Australian. It's a joke, you know, it's got to be universal. So I found very strongly, I felt confident that when I strip away all the culture, the Tibetan culture, the Indian culture, and you get to the truths, they've got to be universal. Everyone wants to be happy. No one wants to suffer. Everybody produces the person they become. Even if you're not, even if you're a Christian, you can see, without being rude, you can see you produce yourself. If you're angry every day, you can't blame anybody for that. You know, no, you produce yeah. yourself. So yeah. that's a kind of a fundamental truth. And so then that I found it was kind of encouraging. And then I really what I got from this concept of continuity of consciousness and reincarnation, that your nature isn't intrinsically Australian male, female, even human. It's intrinsically, the Buddhists would say, that the virtue and goodness and ethics, they are the fundamentals of actually who we really are. And the other stuff is, they say, it's adventitious, the anger and the neuroses, and we can get rid of those. You know, this is the Buddhist idea. So in finding that to be a universal truth is very encouraging. And that's why right now I'm not talking like a Tibetan, I'm talking like a modern Western person, you know, because if, it's a, if it is a truth, it can be expressed in whatever way is appropriate. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because it's if it's true, as you say, if it That's was right. tr true in in um in that culture that was unaffected yeah. by the external world, um, and it wasn't it wasn't got to do with with their conditioning. It's true. It's it's it was their That's truth. Right. And when you look you at it from whatever angle, truth. it's still That's true. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think we can find fundamental truths. I think we can find fundamental truths. Yeah. But you know. I think we can do that. We strip it right down. I think that's possible. Mm. And you don't believe it. The Buddhist view is, you know, as the Dalai Lama often says to us Western people, he says, if you, you know, you decided you're going to follow Buddha's methodology, that's your decision. Mm -hmm. But, and I, the words I use is we take it as our working hypothesis. So if you take something as your working hypothesis, at some point you're testing it as you go, at some point you'll either prove it's true or it's not. So as His Holiness said, if you can prove that what Buddha says is wrong, of course you must reject him. That's very much the Buddhist approach, not just, not just swallow it whole. The yeah. Buddhist view is you can prove something, you can prove things to be true. So it's up to us, we're the boss of it. So if you find it to be wrong, if you find the Buddha is wrong, then you must reject him. Hmm. Have you ever questioned, what did you ever have a, a teaching of the Buddha that you... Um, it took you a while to digest or to, to fully But that's grasp. what it does, you can't... No, no, you see that... That's implying, if you said to me, if you're, ask, you're asking me if I heard the teachings from Einstein, is there any moment I didn't, that I, I doubted it? I mean, I'm not at the level of Einstein yet, so I've got to take it as my working hypothesis. The Buddha's fundamental view is that I can rid my mind utterly of all delusions and develop goodness to perfection and become this powerful being who can manifest in many bodies throughout the universe to benefit others. I can't do that yet. That's like Einstein and e equals MC squared. So you take it as you're working hypothesis and you you go grade one, grade two, grade three, and gradually, eventually, you can prove or not prove it. It's a process. You can't just prove it immediately. That's bizarre. Of course. It's not a possibility. Yes. Do you understand? It's a yes. process. That's yes. why I'm saying it's a working hypothesis. Yes. You don't just swallow a whole, I believe in this. That, In fact, that doesn't help. I always remember one time in New Zealand, I gave a teaching there. And it was, in turn, it was, in fact, a scientist. And he, a very good question. He said, who revealed the teachings to the Buddha? That's a very typical view you'd have if you're a Christian. It's revelation from God, you know. Uh -huh. And I said, would you ask Einstein who revealed the teachings about relativity to him? And, of course, he laughed. Everybody laughed. We know nobody did. That Einstein used his own noggin. And what he did was he observed the world and then he 
thought about things and very powerfully and then came up with certain views. He tested them and then he codified them and he proved that they were laws. They proved that they were true. That's the Buddha's view about reality. So he, the Buddha would say karma is a natural law. No one made it up. He didn't invent it. You don't believe in it. You observe it and then eventually oh. find it to be true or not. So we're talking about universal, fundamental, natural laws here, natural truth. That's the Buddhist view very much. That's why the concept of creating, he's not being rude, he would suggest that's not accurate. He's not being rude, you know, he's just, we've all got different views and we take the different views that suit us. But the Buddha's view is fundamentally, it's natural laws that we're talking about. So for the Buddha, karma is a natural law that everything a person thinks and does and says just naturally sows seeds in their mind that produces the person they become. And because we impact upon others, we're, you know, we're, gonna, we're also going to experience at the hands of others actions we've done. It's a natural law. It's not just some kind of – that's how the Buddhists talk. It's an interesting oh. view. Yeah, it is. I like what you're saying there about Einstein. I mean, who, who, who taught him that? Um, and um, I know that the Buddha speaks of emptiness or spaciousness um do you, how do you work with that or do you how do you do you take that into like let's just say well, no that okay the teachings on emptiness actually it's not it's um it's a much much more sophisticated type of idea about uh -huh. the very way that things exist it's not so much about spaciousness so i mean basically the idea, the buddhist view is that the suffering we all have is because we've got this very primordially held instinctive view that everything's kind of set in stone the sense of self i am this and i am that and i'm no good and i'm bad i'm good. it's that is this this is right very black and white and fundamentalist and very kind of set in stone so the buddha's saying nothing exists like that so when they talk about emptiness they mainly mean that things don't have that way of existing things are empty of that way exist of existing so when you have that realization of that which is quite subtle in very subtle meditation Uh -huh. That's when it, that's when you finally get to see that truth. And the Buddha would say that's the main cause of all our suffering, this misconception deep in our bones that I'm set in stone and the consequence of that is you're stuck, you freak out, you live in fear. So when you've rid the mind of all that, when you so-called realize this emptiness, which is quite a subtle point, then you've quit fear. You've got the sense of interdependence. You've got the sense of connectedness with others. You don't have any longer any anger or ego or rubbish. You're a very powerful, fulfilled, content human being. Uh -huh. And recently, uh, you may have seen that they uh, they have this the new telescope, the James Webb, which is I heard, yeah. has yeah. taken some amazing images right. of, of of galaxies. Mm. Um, mm. And like, when do you do you ever think of that in like form in in emptiness in in this 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 space that we are? Do you ever think of of us being on this little planet and all this spaciousness around it and there are forms in it? May have been what the the Buddha was was trying to connect with just the the emptiness. I, I don't remember. think so. No, do, don't you don't so. know? Like no, no. In, in I a can similar use it as an analogy, I think we can use it as an analogy, but it's not what he's meaning. It's not what he's meaning at all. No. Okay. Yeah. I would suggest that. Yeah. Do you hmm. ever think of um, when you're talking about reincarnation? Do you ever think of other other planets? coming coming us coming back on on other planets in other galaxies? Well, or? I mean, you know. The Buddha's view is there are different realms of existence, mm. but in a sense, you know, what is it when they talk about, what was that, what's that famous series, 
Dr. Spock. No, Dr. Oh, Spock, uh, I think. Star I Trek. Yeah. What's it called? Star Trek. Star Trek, okay. Mm. You know how they get into the elevator or the lift and then mm. go to another dimension? Yes, well, yeah. This is how the Buddha's view is. We, as human at the moment, we can see certain things and experience certain things. But right now, there are other beings right existing. For example, beings who are disembodied. We can't see them with our eyes, but they're real. And that's a type of realm of existence. So Buddha would talk about various realms of existence, definitely. It could mean there are beings of some kind. Every, I mean, the Buddhist view would say wherever you find existence, there are sentient beings existing. But we don't always necessarily cognize them with our mind. As we progress spiritually and remove all the rubbish from the mind, we are able to do that. We can see all these different realms. We would be able to. There are beings everywhere, the Buddha would say, all kinds of beings experiencing suffering and experiencing happiness. Yes. Wow, yeah. Not in the sense, but a bit like sort of the, the, the Star Trek thing, you know, a different dimension. Yes, yes. So I guess it's the only way you can access that with your mind as you get more advanced. Mm. Well, with like, this cognition we have at the moment of conceptuality and the senses is too gross. We, that's not that level of the way we exist at the level of conceptuality and sensory is too gross to be able to cognize these different levels. That's yeah, how the Buddhists would say. Um, that we can, all, we can only. To figure so much of it out, I guess, and mm, that's that's actually quite beautiful. So it doesn't really matter if whatever amount of galaxies there are, whatever amount of planets, whatever amount of suns, stars, the whole thing. There are many, many things happening um, in or around you, and it doesn't matter if it's your dog or your neighbor or a being that you can't see physically. Whatever, it doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't really well, matter the way too to much. Say is, what I mean, I, the you right is- in that? Or? is this idea of compassion that we're all experiencing the fruits of our past. And there are some beings in some realms of existence who are experiencing incredible suffering. So the whole idea of compassion is to, to by understanding mm. yourself, what makes things tick, you know, using the Buddha's view, you realize the causes of suffering and you try to get rid of it. And now you want to help others do the same. And so you cultivate this compassion for all beings in the universe. And this is what a Buddha is. By the time you've accomplished Buddhahood, you are able to then effortlessly, you don't need to be reborn, you've done the job, but you're able to effortlessly be reborn in different realms of existence to be a benefit to others. That's how they talk in the big picture terms. So it all matters in the sense that you don't want beings to suffer. But from the daily point of view, life, we can only see a very small, we're only, our, our view is quite limited, you know. Anyway, there's many things like this to talk about. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It definitely is. It definitely is. Um, I like that the Buddhism doesn't rule any of it out. Um, no, that's right, for sure. And you in your own life, have you tried to alleviate suffering or, or is that something that, that you do not only within yourself but externally? I think Buddha talks about right livelihood and right That's what we're helping and, others means, isn't it? That's yes, what compassion exactly. means. So, I mean, my job as a nun, I've been, and I've been a nun now for, what, 45 years or something. My first mm. years I was working, I was living in England, actually, in the north of England, and I was working with publishing books as my profession. And then I've been teaching for the last 35 years around the world, teaching these ideas, Buddhism, the skills oh. to people. But for 15 years I ran a non-profit based in California, helping people in prison and that we help people all over the world. People write to us and we give books and help them and visit them. So I'm still working that way. And I'm, and also I've got an own, my own private thing. I've got a, a particular organisation that I use that gets money that I um, help people. I support about 30, 40 different things around the world, like, a, you know, people in Haiti helping um, with health things and somebody else helping prisoners and other poor people. I, I do all these kinds of things as well try to make use of my life yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean you gotta and i'm sure that 
um, feels nice from within knowing that after your teachings, after taking the, 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 the teachings of the Buddha on board and as you say, processing them yourself um, to act upon them, not just to sit there and meditate and, and you know. Cause That's right, exactly. I mean, we live in this world. We live, we're all interdependent. We all, to, to, to ignore that we're all interdependently connected to each other is shocking, you know. You've got to put yourself together first and then you realize it wasn't in the same boat and then you do what you can to help others. Every tiny yes. thing we do, we can help. Yeah. That ant, that dog, that one person. You don't have to be a mo mother Teresa go around helping the world, but each, just in our lives we can do that. Reach out to others, be useful to others, help others. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I, I, I remember recently um, it was about, I was having a thought about doing the, this podcast, actually, I was because because I do a few of these. I was kind of thinking, am I doing it for my own egoic um needs or for, for for people liking me like 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 what we spoke about earlier the, the viewpoints of others i was like is that why i'm doing this is that what, what i'm what i'm doing here yeah and i went no it's not i'm kind of doing it out of a place of compassion and spreading like the likes of your your teachings that's right, that's right. But, but don't but also what's good is don't deny the incredible benefit it does bring to you that's good we shouldn't be ashamed of that yes you can see yes. the, the discussions you have with them you're learning all the time Mm. So then you are, yeah, you are exactly. the beneficiary and so are others. And I remember one mm. interesting point. I remember one time when I heard all these different teachings in Buddhism about, about the levels of compassion that you can cultivate, it almost seemed impossible to me. I thought this is not possible, you know. Then I remember the Dalai Lama saying, if you want to help others, practice compassion. If you want to help yourself, practice compassion. So we've got to remember we are also the beneficiary. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. And though you're yes. helping, they often talk about you, you, you're, you're fulfilling your own purpose and the purposes of others. But the only way you can really help others is by doing it on yourself. So you grow as you help others. You, so we're both, both, you can't have one wing without the other. Yes. Important to remember yeah, that. that's quite beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really, really nice. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and I and I did, I, I actually slowed down in doing podcasts because I was kind of, um thinking oh maybe maybe that is part of me that's doing that and then i realized that the yeah. exact same part of me my ego let's 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 call it an yeah. ego, um, what it is yeah was the same one that was saying no don't do it stop slow down and then we'll come in sneak in the back door and judge me over doing it now that's you're right. doing nothing you know this type of that's weird right. That's right. so that's that why we've got to catch our mind and know that naturally you know the ego is involved but we just say it's okay I'm d and then you and you, you, you don't get set in stone. It's okay. And then be glad that you yes. are benefiting. So in the end, let's say, I mean, you can see that with different professions. You know, let's say you want to become a doctor and you're all very noble and, you know, and then suddenly you suddenly start to get paid masses of money, get paid masses of money. Then you start to become more mm -hmm. and more self-centered, more and more compromising and less and less compassionate. That is a danger. It can always happen for sure. So we've got to watch it like yes. pork and never lose sight so of your fundamental motivation. Yes. So keep your eye on exactly why you did it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And your your ego will always try and get in. We all get very idealistic, but then we forget it. We got to, if you keep, it's good mm. to be idealistic, but don't forget it. Work on it every day and keep yourself grounded and keep your motivation pure. And then as you get more and more famous and more and more rich as a doctor, you can do more and more good. You don't lose the plot. Yes. Just an example. Yeah. You yeah. don't lose the plot because you're, because right. you're grounded. That's yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Your motivation yeah. is always, yeah. you kept your idealistic motivation.
Yeah, and your ego will always be there trying but, to knock on the then, door yeah, and go, then, I but, did but, this. But no, but this is the point. It doesn't, it's not set in stone. You can then eventually rid it. This is the Buddhist view. You can, that's what the word nirvana simply means when you've completely ceased suffering and its causes. You quit ego completely. So now you are just this fully brilliant, content, fulfilled, wise, compassionate person. And now you practice the compassion wing and you really practice that one and now you can be of amazing benefit to others. Yes, true meditation. I've had some very, very deep um, moments of connection, peace, bliss. You're speaking about nirvana there. Um, is that something that 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 has um, kind of been the back burner for you? Like I'm, I'm sure it's, you've had the same. No, I mean it depends on the per the person, the time. But that is the Buddhist view would say our mind, when it is in a more subtle state is naturally blissful and naturally joyful. And that is the goal. It's like the, it's like the byproduct. It's like the bonus. The long-term job yes. is to get rid of ego so you can be a benefit to others finally. But you are also the beneficiary. So, yes, of course, that's a natural and that's encouraging because we think happiness comes from cakes and boyfriends. And it can be triggered, but it doesn't last very long. Whereas the, the, the ability of our own mind, when it's less deluded and neurotic, to be joyful and radiant and blissful, that's not meant to be fantasy. That and But that's that doesn't drive you. If it does, then you're just losing the plot as well. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when your mind that's is open, so it is clear, it's true, but also you're empathetic with others, you're compassionate as well, and that has to be there. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um. I heard you speaking um, on one of the little um, Instagram posts that you had up recently, and it was about how our mind exaggerates. Yes, good or bad. That's right. And I thought it was 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 beautiful. Yeah, that's you speak very a little nice. bit about that. Well, yeah, we can. I, I think you can see that very clearly. That's why we're so up and down like yo-yos. You know, when you have attachment, attachment, the energy of attachment. Let's say just for the cake. Forget anything else. It over exaggerates the deliciousness of the cake. It's really obvious. And then it expects the cake. It puts all this dump, all these expectations on the cake. So it all is coming from in here, and because and it comes from this emotional hunger. So then, ah, the cake will do it, and it looks so divine. You shove the cake in, and you're waiting for the happiness to come. And then the tragedy is you're not satisfied with that first moment of happiness, so you want another piece of cake. But then look what happens. By the time you've had four pieces, you want to vomit. Now, how does the cake look? beyond disgusting so even that simple example if you have got a full stomach and i've got an empty stomach both looking at the same cake we see two different cakes you see something revolting because you're full and i see something divine so this is clear that your aversion which is the basis of anger exaggerates the ugliness mm -hmm. of the cake and my attachment exaggerates the deliciousness of the cake it's pretty obvious i mean if you're my boyfriend you look divine to me then you cheat on me and i chuck you out so now i have aversion for you the same mark, but your present girlfriend thinks you're divine. I think you're a creep. We we know this every day, but we don't join the dots. Yes. So in other words, I've got anger in my mind, which exaggerates your ugliness, because all I remember is you cheated on me. Even though for 27 years you were kind to me, I forget all of that, and I only see a monster. And now your new girlfriend sees a divine saint. I mean, we are clearly ridiculous. We run up and down like yo-yos. So attachment exaggerates the deliciousness of something, and then you grasp at it. 
And then aversion or anger exaggerates the ugliness of something. And we do the same with ourselves. We're up and down like yo-yos. I'm a creep. I'm nothing. We exaggerate. We, you know, I, I am angry. Since a little girl, I knew how to be angry. So as I would exaggerate and paint the whole of me with that one brush, where it's more nuanced yes. than that. There, are, there is anger there. The cake is delicious. But these delusions exaggerate. And we can rid, rid of those. We can be more in touch with reality you know, and more stable and more joyful. Yes, it's yes, sort of obvious. exactly. Which, yeah, it it really is. It really is, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about um, creating our own, our own reality right. through, through our exactly. mind, That's yeah, right. and, and our attachments. That's right. Have a big part of it. Yes. Um. In in Irish, to say you're sad is a uh, brown arm, which means there is sadness on me. I always thought that was kind of beautiful. It's, That's very much the way that the Tibetans, when you look at your mind. You're really seeing, you say, there is anger, there is jealousy, there is depression, there is love. You know, I am loving, I am depressed. No, it's really true. It's a very powerful point. We over we grasp at it and we identify me with that. Yes. This is a big mistake we make. Absolutely. It's a very good yeah. point. Do you still get caught with um with 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 your mind and sometimes take you by surprise and you go, God, I thought I was no, I, no, I no, was no, past that. I've learned that lesson. You, by surprise. you know where you're you're on this process. So you know you're only yeah. in grade four. You don't kid yourself, you really thought you're in grade seven, you get disappointed. You try to be realistic about where you're at. So you know what's going on. You you're being you try and this is one of the major points. You try to be realistic. Where am I at in this process? Like becoming a, a musician. You if you think you've really perfectly become Bach already, you're in serious trouble. If you are Bach, then you're not in trouble. So you've got to be part of the thing. <laughs> is wisdom is being realistic, being truthful, seeing what reality is, not living yes. in a fantasy world. So you're moving yes, along at your yeah. own pace, you know. Yeah. And you've got to know where you're at. You've got to know where you're at. If yeah. you don't know where you're at, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're so right. Because you don't know what to do. You don't know where to start from. Yeah. You're living in an imaginary world that you're selling yourself in your That's head. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's well. Right. That's right. Listen, Robina, thank you so, so much. It's a pleasure. I won't I won't take up too much more of your time. I'm really, really grateful for you That's good. Uh, spending this time Happy. and s- sharing your wisdom and, and your knowledge and your presence. Uh, a good conversation. And any- the, the, the quality of it is related to the conversation. You know, you're, you're part of the deal, so thank you. <laughs> thank you so okay. much, Robina. Can I sing a little, let me sing a tiny prayer to finish. Shall I do that? Oh, please do. Please do. Yes, definitely. It's just really just saying, may compassion grow and grow in the hearts of all. Very short, 30 seconds. Into that. Brilliant. Jam chod sem chog rinpoche, ma ke pa nam ke guchig, ke pa nyam pa me pa yang, gong ne gong du, hava Wow, okay. that was absolutely beautiful. Okay, that thank was you, really my dear. Genuinely, so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so okay. much for being here. Much love to you. Thank you. Bye. Much love. Thank much you. love. Bye. Take care. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.